Hello and welcome to Coffee and Code. I'm your host, Ashley Coffee. Coffee and Code is your weekly rundown for the latest top tech news from around the world delivered every Wednesday. On this show, you'll find a mix of the latest news in the tech world, including privacy, infosec, startups, and more, including interviews with experts, innovators, and practical everyday tech tips to level up your life. Subscribe to Coffee and Code to be notified when new episodes go live. You can also find me on Twitter at AshleyCoffee underscore, that's A-S-H-L-E-Y-C-O-F-F-E-Y underscore, and on Instagram at AshleyRCoffee89. Thanks for listening, and welcome to Coffee and Code. Today, I'll be covering a recent social engineering scam where GoDaddy employees were used in attacks on multiple cryptocurrency services, Google's plans to build a new fiber optic network that would connect the historical enemies Saudi Arabia and Israel and open a new corridor for internet traffic, and in the world of artificial intelligence, A new research paper reinforces concerns about bias and image recognition services offered by Google, Microsoft, and Amazon. Let's get to it. GoDaddy employees used in attacks on multiple cryptocurrency services. Fraudsters redirected email and web traffic destined for several cryptocurrency trading platforms over the past week. The attacks were facilitated by scams targeting employees at GoDaddy, which is the world's largest domain name registrar. The incident is the latest incursion at GoDaddy that relied on tricking employees into transferring ownership and or control over targeted domains to fraudsters. In March, a voice phishing scam targeting GoDaddy support employees allowed attackers to assume control over at least a half a dozen domain names, including transaction brokering site escrow.com. And in May of this year, GoDaddy disclosed that 28,000 of its customers' web hosting accounts were compromised following a security incident in October of 2019 that wasn't discovered until April of 2020. The latest campaign appears to have begun on or around November 13th with an attack on cryptocurrency trading platform Liquid.com. In the early morning hours of November 18th, cryptocurrency mining service NiceHash discovered that some of the settings for its domain registration records at GoDaddy were changed without authorization briefly redirecting email and web traffic for the site. NiceHash froze all customer funds for roughly 28 hours until it was able to verify that its domain settings had been changed back to their original settings. NiceHash founder said the unauthorized changes were made from an internet address at GoDaddy, and that the attackers tried to use their access to its incoming NiceHash emails to perform password resets on various third-party services, including Slack and GitHub. But the founders said GoDaddy was impossible to reach at the time, 
because it was undergoing a widespread system outage in which phone and email systems were unresponsive. NiceHash's email service was redirected to privateemail.com, an email platform run by Namecheap Inc., another large domain name registrar. Using Farsight Security, a service which maps changes to domain name records over time, the service showed all domains registered at GoDaddy that had alterations to their email records in the past week, which pointed them to privateemail.com. Those results were then indexed against the top 1 million most popular websites, according to Alexa.com. The result shows that several other cryptocurrency platforms may have been targeted by the same group, including bbox.com, celsius.network, and Wirex app. None of these companies responded to requests for commenting on what exactly happened to them. In a response, GoDaddy acknowledged that a small number of customer domain names had been modified after a limited number of GoDaddy employees fell for a social engineering scam. GoDaddy said the outage between 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. on November 17th was not related to a security incident, but rather a technical issue that materialized during planned network maintenance. What's more, the attack on escrow.com redirected the site to an internet address in Malaysia that hosted fewer than a dozen other domains, including the phishing website servicenow-godaddy.com. This suggests the hackers-slash-attackers behind the March incident and possibly this latest one succeeded by calling GoDaddy employees and convincing them to use their employee credentials at a fraudulent GoDaddy login page. In August of 2020, a security firm warned about a marked increase in large corporations being targeted in sophisticated voice phishing scams or vishing scams, V-I-S-H-I-N-G, Experts say the success of these scams has been aided greatly by many employees working remotely thanks to the COVID pandemic. A typical vishing scam begins with a series of phone calls to employees working remotely at a targeted organization. The fishers often will explain that they're calling from the employer's IT department to help troubleshoot issues with the company's email or VPN technology. The goal here is to convince the target either to divulge their credentials over the phone or to input them manually at a website set up by the attackers that mimics the organization's corporate email or VPN portal. On July 15th of this year, a number of high-profile Twitter accounts were used to tweet out a Bitcoin scam that earned more than $100,000 in a few hours. According to Twitter, that attack succeeded because the perpetrators were able to social engineer several Twitter employees over the phone into giving away access to internal Twitter tools. An alert issued jointly by the FBI and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency says the perpetrators of these vishing attacks compiled dossiers on employees at their targeted companies 
using mass scraping of public profiles on social media platforms, recruiter and marketing tools, publicly available background check services, and open source search. The FBI and the CISA advisory includes a number of suggestions that companies can implement to help mitigate the threat from vishing attacks, which include restricting VPN connections to managed devices only, using mechanisms like hardware checks or installed certificates so user input alone is not enough to access the corporate VPN, restricting VPN access hours where applicable to medicate access outside of the allowed times, employ domain monitoring to track the creation of or changes to corporate brand name domains, Actively scan and monitor web applications for unauthorized access, modification, and anomalous activities. Employ the principle of least privilege and implement software restrictions, policies, or other controls. Monitor authorized user access and usage. Consider using a formalized authentication process for employee-to-employee communications made over the public telephone network where a second factor is used to authenticate the phone call before sensitive information can be discussed. Improved two-factor authentication and OTP messaging to reduce confusion about employee authentication attempts. Verify web links do not have misspellings or contain the wrong domain. Bookmark the correct corporate VPN URL and do not visit alternative URLs on the sole basis of an inbound phone call. Be suspicious of unsolicited phone calls, visits, or email messages from unknown people coming and claiming to be from a legitimate organization. Don't provide personal information or information about your organization, including its structure or networks, unless you are 100% certain of a person's identity and authority to have that information. And if possible, try to verify the caller's identity directly with the company. If you receive a vishing call, document the phone number of the caller as well as the domain that the actor tried to send you to and relay this information to law enforcement. Limit the amount of personal information you post on social networking sites. I cannot emphasize this enough. The internet truly is a public resource. Only post information you are comfortable with anyone seeing. And lastly, evaluate your settings. Sites may change their options periodically, so review your security and privacy settings regularly to make sure that your choices are still appropriate. Google plans fiber optic network to connect via Saudi Arabia and Israel for the first time. Google is laying the groundwork for a fiber optic network that for the first time will connect through historical enemy Saudi Arabia and Israel while opening a new corridor for global internet traffic. The project linking India to Europe is Google's latest globe-crossing internet construction effort. The Alphabet Inc. subsidiary is vying with Facebook Inc. to build more network capacity to support its surging user demand for videos, search results, and other products. Expanded connectivity between Europe and India would also help Google roll out data centers globally and catch up to rivals Microsoft and Amazon in the business of on-demand cloud computing. 
Google, which names most of its internet cables after scientists, has dubbed the new route Blue Raman after Indian physicist Chandrasekhara Venkata Raman. A submarine cable project the length of Blue Raman at more than 5,000 miles would typically cost up to $400 million. Google is expected to turn to telecom company partners to help fund the project, including Oman Telecommunications and Telecom Italia, which are helping finance the route. Those partners and others will help fund the cable's construction while sharing its fiber optic infrastructure. Those familiar with Google's Blue Raman project cautioned that it still might not materialize. Because it crosses borders, the project will require agreements with several regulators, and one setback could force Google to redesign the route. For example, Google's consortium still lacks the go-ahead it needs from Saudi government authorities to connect the Blue Raman project. The tech giant wants to open a new route to alleviate internet congestion through Egypt. The Egyptian government charges telecom operators some of the heaviest fees to traverse its land and waters that can add up to 50% of the cost of a route from Europe to India. The bottleneck also heightens the risk of internet outages caused by breaks in, in the cables under the Red Sea's busy shipping lanes. The route is likely to be made up of a submarine cable between India and Saudi Arabia with links to neighboring countries like Oman. It would cross overland through Jordan and Israel, likely via current fiber optic infrastructure. From there, Google is helping lay another undersea cable that will travel across the Mediterranean to Europe. Google isn't the only one working on such connections. U.S.-based Centurion Corp. is planning a competing set of cables called the Trans-Europe-Asia system that would pass from Europe through Israel before heading on to India. Centurion chief executive Greg Verisco said telecom operators are searching globally for alternative routes. And quote, recent politics in the region is certainly in favor of what we're doing, end quote. Facebook is focused on its To Africa project, a 23,000-mile network designed to provide more capacity than all of Africa's existing submarine cables combined. That system is expected to traverse Egypt to Europe, but could also link with Saudi Arabia and other Mideast countries. The cables could still fall foul of regional politics. Israel and Iran built an oil pipeline on Israeli soil in the 1960s to ship Iranian oil to Europe rather than use Egypt's Suez Canal. But after the rise of the Islamic Republic in Iran in 1979, the pipeline largely lay dormant as Israel and Tehran became enemies. Recent politics could signal a new beginning for the pipeline. Its Israeli operator last month said it signed a preliminary deal with the AUAE company to transport oil along the route. When AI sees a man, it thinks, official. A woman? 
smile. A new research paper renews concerns about bias and image recognition services offered by Google, Microsoft, and Amazon. Men often judge women by their appearance. Women judge women by their appearance. And it turns out, computers do too. When U.S. and European researchers fed pictures of Congress members to Google's cloud image recognition service, the service applied three times as many annotations related to physical appearance to photos of women as it did to men. The top labels applied to men were official and business person. For women, they were smile and chin. Quote, it results in women receiving a lower status stereotype, that women are there to look pretty and men are business leaders, end quote. This comes from Karsten Schwimmer, a postdoctoral researcher at the Lebanese Institute for the Social Sciences in Germany. He worked on the study, which was published last week, with researchers from New York University, American University, University College Dublin, University of Michigan, and nonprofit California YIMBY. The researchers administered their machine vision test to Google's artificial intelligence image service and those of rivals Amazon and Microsoft. Crowd workers were paid to review the annotations those services applied to official photos of lawmakers and images those lawmakers tweeted. The AI services generally saw things human reviewers could also see in the photos, but they tended to notice different things about women and men, with women much more likely to be characterized by their appearance. Women lawmakers were often tagged with girl and beauty. The services had a tendency not to see women at all, failing to detect them more often than they failed to see men. The study adds to evidence that algorithms do not see the world with mathematical detachment, but instead tend to replicate or even amplify historical cultural biases. It was inspired in part by a 2018 project called Gender Shades that showed that Microsoft's and IBM's AI cloud services were very accurate at identifying the gender of white men, but very inaccurate at identifying the gender of black women. The new study that was published last week had researchers that had gathered data from the AI services in 2018. Experiments by Wired using the official photos of 10 men and 10 women from the California State Senate suggest the study's findings still hold. All 20 lawmakers are smiling in their official photos. Google's top suggested labels noted a smile for only one of the men, but for seven of the women. The company's AI vision service labeled all 10 of the men as business person, often also with official or white collar worker. Only five of the women senators received one or more of these terms. Women also received appearance-related tags such as skin, 
hairstyle, and neck that were not applied to men. Amazon and Microsoft services appeared to show less obvious bias, although Amazon reported being more than 99% sure that two of the 10 women senators were either a girl or kid. It didn't suggest any of the 10 men were minors. Microsoft's service identified the gender of all the men, but only eight of the women, calling one man and not tagging a gender for another. Google switched off its AI vision services gender detection earlier this year, saying that gender cannot be inferred from a person's appearance. Tracy Frey, managing director of Responsible AI at Google's cloud division, says the company continues to work on reducing bias and welcomes outside input. Quote, we always strive to be better and continue to collaborate with outside stakeholders, like academic researchers, to further our work in this space, end quote. Amazon and Microsoft declined to comment on this, but both companies' services recognize gender only as binary. The U.S.-European study was inspired in part by what happened when the researchers fed Google's vision service a striking award-winning image from Texas showing a Honduran toddler in tears as a U.S. Border Patrol officer detained her mother. Google's AI suggested labels including fun, with a score of 77%, higher than the 52% score it assigned the label child. Schwimmer and his colleagues began playing with Google's service in hopes it could help them measure patterns in how people use images to talk about politics online. What he subsequently helped uncover about gender bias in the image services has convinced him the technology isn't ready to be used by researchers that way, and that companies using such services could suffer unsavory consequences. Quote, you could get a completely false image of reality, end quote. A company that used a skewed AI service to organize a large photo collection might inadvertently end up obscuring women business people, indexing them instead by their smiles. Prior research has found that prominent datasets of labeled photos used to train vision algorithms showed significant gender biases. For example, showing women cooking and men shooting. The skew appeared to come in part from researchers collecting their images online, where the, f- the photos that were available reflected societal biases. For example, by providing many more examples of businessmen than businesswomen. Machine learning software trained on those datasets was found to amplify the bias in the underlying photo collections. Schwimmer believes biased training data may explain the bias the new study found in the tech giant's AI services, but it's impossible to know without full access to these systems. Diagnosing and fixing shortcomings and biases in AI systems has become a hot research topic in the recent years. The way humans can instantly absorb subtle context in an image while AI software is narrowly focused on patterns of pixels creates much potential for misunderstanding. The problem has become more pressing as algorithms get better at processing images. One approach to the problem is to work on improving the training data that can be the root cause of biased machine learning systems. 
When the researchers applied the tool to the open images collection of 9 million photos maintained by Google, they found that men were more often tagged in outdoor scenes and sports fields than women. And men tagged with sports uniform were most mostly outdoors playing sports like baseball, while women were indoors playing basketball or in a swimsuit. Google and its competitors in AI are themselves major contributors to research on fairness and bias in AI. That includes working on the idea of creating standardized ways to communicate the limitations and contents of AI software and datasets to developers, something like an AI nutrition label. Google has developed a format called model cards and published cards for the face and object detection components of its cloud vision service. One claims Google's face detector works more or less the same for different genders, but doesn't mention other possible forms that AI gender bias might take. Really interesting stuff here. I've been following bias and AI for quite a while. And it's interesting how the training data can really set the tone for the, the outcomes of these, these research projects. It's time for your weekly tech tip. This tech tip is going to be for all the iPhone users out there. And it is centered around setting up time limits for specific apps that you use. And for this example, I'm going to use social media apps. If you haven't seen the documentary, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, apps are specifically and psychologically designed to keep us entranced and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So this little feature that's built into your phone can actually set up time limits for you and prevent you from mindlessly scrolling. To set up this feature, you're going to select settings, and then you're going to navigate to screen time. And from here, you can see a daily average breakdown of how much time you're spending on your phone per day. You can actually get pretty granular on this as well and break it down by what apps you're spending the most time in that are social media apps, entertainment apps, or productivity and, and finance. And it will actually specifically break down how much time you're spending in each app per day and which apps are most used. Another really cool feature that is in this little specific area is um, it's called pickups. So it'll tell you how many times you pick up your phone per day and at what point your first pickup occurred at that specific day. So going back to setting up these limits, you'll choose app limits and you'll choose add a limit and you can, these are daily time limits for specific categories you want to manage and the limit resets every day at midnight. And you can choose from used apps, categories, and websites. Some of the category examples here are games, entertainment, creativity, health and fitness, shopping and food, and of course, social. So if you choose social as a category, it's automatically going to include all of the apps that are on your phone that it can categorize as social media apps. So think of things like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Messenger, GroupMe, so on and so forth. But you can actually specifically tailor this that fits your needs. But once you have your app selected, you'll choose next. And from here, you can choose how much time you want to spend on these per day. 
You can choose anywhere from one hour to four hours or 30 minutes. And what's great about this is you can actually customize your days. So if you want to set up a longer time limit on the weekends and a little bit of a stricter time limit during the week, you can do that. The app limits will apply to the device that you're creating them on and a notification will appear five minutes before the time limit is reached. I think this is really cool and this feature really aligns with one of my personal mantras and that is to make your technology work for you. Your technology should never be a hindrance in your productivity and I highly encourage my listeners to use automation wherever possible. So it's nice to have my location-based reminders or my time-based reminders, and in this case, app limits, so I don't find myself mindlessly scrolling and in an internet rabbit hole on Reddit learning about UFOs or this monolith that has been found in Utah recently. But I digress. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Before I leave you today, I would like to give a special thank you to Just Good Coffee Company, the official coffee partner of Coffee and Code. Just Good Coffee offers a carefully crafted selection of coffee from some of the most revered coffee producing regions around the world. Their commitment to offering exceptionally good experiences extends beyond just the products themselves, but extends well into the community, which is awesome. Their mission is simple, to offer good coffee and coffee for good. From cup to community. That is the sole purpose of Just Good Coffee. Be sure to check out their newest culture collection. These blends are carefully crafted and roasted to perfection, each with origins from within the great continent of Africa. You can find them at justgoodcoffee.co. I am personally a huge fan of this coffee. It tastes so good. Um, I drink it while I'm recording this and um, nothing but good things to say about this coffee company. Shout out to my friend Ray. Thank you so much and thank you all for listening and be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes of Coffee and Code go live.